Hey, it's Brandon, the host of Transform Your Workplace. This episode is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder was founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way supplements are made. They work with the top scientists to formulate a line of clean performance products. And unlike any other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party to verify the highest standards for quality and safety. And I know when I got my package from Ladder, I was blown away by the quality of the packaging. It felt really premium and the taste was great too. I personally love the hydration packet and I can't wait to try the other products too. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's better every day for 30% off at ladder.sport. This episode is also sponsored by RIMS. RIMS is a global organization dedicated to the profession of risk management. For nearly 60 years, RIMS has delivered the latest strategies and resources that allow risk professionals to grow, innovate, and succeed in any business. RIMS works with the industry leaders to produce content and online training that business professionals turn to. Topics include business continuity, cyber risk, risk management techniques, the fundamentals of insurance, and more. There's also a private members-only site where people can discuss sensitive issues and get honest answers. Members have been leaning on each other as we all navigate this global pandemic. If you're concerned about the safety of your employees and the sustainability of your organization, you need the resources and connections RIMS provides. Learn more at http colon forward slash forward slash go dot rims dot org forward slash transform. You can save 25% off a year long membership. And now on to the show. Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I'm Brandon Laws, your host. Thanks for the download today and joining us for today's episode. I have a conversation with two very, very smart people, Wendy Morgan and Maggie Hubble. They are the co-founders of a company called Shift Bias. They focus on virtual reality training, specifically DEI training. That was really what they created their, their business on and the technology platform. But they have since shifted to responding to the coronavirus and helping uh, hospital staff, like nurses, doctors, get trained up on the fight against coronavirus. And so they've really temporarily shifted their entire business. And so we we talk about, you know, why virtual reality training is uh, a great alternative to just traditional training, uh, classroom style workshops things like that, because uh, this really can be hands-on through technology. So you're going to like this episode. Uh, They're very smart, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think it's I think it's really cool, and I haven't really heard much about virtual, virtual reality training. So enjoy the episode, and I will talk to you next week. I've got Wendy Morgan with me and Maggie Hubble. It's great to have you guys on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. 
Thanks, Thanks for having for us. You guys have some very unique technology. Uh, you're in the training space. Uh, you're in you're in something that I haven't quite seen out there. You do virtual reality experiences, and you start with bias. Uh, in fact, your business name is Shift Bias. Talk about how you how you got into that. Why is it normal training is not effective? What, like, what is it? How did you guys jumpstart that? Well, I, you know, there are really a lot of aspects to that. And this has actually been a lifelong passion of mine to, to affect change in others, to improve other people's lives. And as an educator, both in uh, K-12 and then in higher ed, I really wanted something that could scale, impact more people, really worldwide is my goal. Um, but then, yeah, what you mentioned about the effectiveness, uh, virtual reality is a unique space. It's really the only place in the world where you can truly live someone else's experience, where you can go into a situation and make the mistakes that need to be made or, and recognize areas where you can improve. And it's completely safe. You can go back and repeat it as many times as you want until you know, you, you've really got, got it there. And with bias in particular, it's it's a touchy subject, right? I mean, people, they don't want you coming to them and saying, hey, that decision you just made, you realize that was biased. They have to discover it for themselves. And VR is the only place where you can really do that without negatively impacting others. Did you get a, a lot of experience in in experience? in seeing bias training as a, as a workshop or in classroom setting and just say, this isn't cutting it. We need to, we need to go to virtual reality so people can really experience what it's like. How did you make that? How did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, it was really an evolution. When I was in education, I, you know, I started this work. I went to some conferences saw some conversations about it. And then when I was working at the University of Oregon, um, I developed a unique training platform there to deliver content online, but there still was just lacking this, this ability to be in the moment to have, um, there are things in uh, implicit bias called vulnerable decision points. It's a time when you're stressed or tired or hungry or all of the above, and your logical brain is less active and you make a decision based on this, this lizard brain, if you will, where it's a knee-jerk reaction, like you would jump because you saw a stick that looked like a snake. And those vulnerable decision points are extremely hard to identify in real life, but in virtual reality, you can you can watch those and see those and then you can step back and say, ah, you know, if I hadn't been so stressed, if I had taken a moment to be more grounded in that decision, for example, in a classroom setting, perhaps I would have seen the real situation and I would have um, corrected behavior in, in a more appropriate manner, a more equitable manner. Maggie, I'm curious, I'll let you jump in here. How did you two come together? <laughs> well, how, did you, do... how do you build something like this? It, there is a little bit of a story, actually, and I think that it would be helpful for Wendy to give a little background on how we got from this being a concept that she had before we even met to us meeting and then to where we are today, uh, because there's there's like a, a year and a half evolution there that has now led us to this moment where we're moving really fast in a new direction, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. So, Wendy, do you want to expand on on that? Like, How did you two, it, it was your your vision, perhaps an idea? How do you even jumpstart something like this? Because it seems like the technology aspect of it would be really complicated to to get off the ground. That's probably why virtual reality hasn't really took hold in a lot of different areas is it seems complicated. It does seem complicated. And uh, so I was moving on from the University of Oregon and uh, actually over coffee one morning, I was just thinking, what is my next thing? I mean, how do I now have a bigger impact? I mean, that sounds a little 
vein, if you will, but I'm like, how can I help be a part of something that has an impact that reaches further? And I had been learning about virtual reality. It's kind of the logical next step from online delivery of content. And I came up with this idea. And actually, the original idea was to use with police officers in their de-escalation training to help with some of these shootings that are um, unnecessary. And I thought, mm, you know, where I have most of my contacts and expertise is in education. So I pivoted that a little bit and then wrote and got some grants. And so this started with grant work. But the attention that was given to this work and the power behind it, just with the grants and the proof of concept was overwhelming. So I thought, hmm, I think I should make a company. And I got some investment funding. And then I was like, oh, I don't know how to make a company. So a mentor of mine connected me <laughs> with Maggie, who does know this part. She's worked in SaaS startups, growing and even exiting. And so uh, we met and talked and you know, hit it off. And I was like, hey, I'm going to come over to Bend and let's have a three-hour meeting. Um you know, seven hours later, we were still talking and excited and planning for the future. And the rest is history. We've been together for about a year now working on this project. And we have a new advisory board. And they, they look at us and they go, you know, do you guys realize how lucky you are? Partnerships like this are once in a lifetime. And Maggie and I both just high five virtually. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. for sure. Yeah, this, this is definitely one of the best working relationships that I've ever had. We're at one plus one equals three partnership <laughs> we get a lot done but and that first you guys probably it seems like you compliment each other yeah <laughs> and have fun <laughs> when yeah when we yeah, when we first great. met um you know i i really trusted the person that put us together where we serve on the board for the technology association of oregon together and when she said you should meet wendy i thought cool all right and i you know i enjoyed the phone call and then i thought we should meet in person but i wasn't thinking beyond, you know, let's meet and see what happens. But that meeting that we had where we started really dreaming about everything we could do together was unexpected and very exciting. And, and here we are a year later. That's great. What is the, what kind of technology do you have to, ha uh, I guess, for, for end users using this technology, whether it's like employers deploying it to their people or um, you're scaling to just a bunch of users who, who want bias training or other forms of training, what sort of technology do they need to use in order to, to take advantage of, of what you guys are offering? Well, we really tried to find a, a happy middle ground. So, you know, you've got the cardboard, which anyone can use with their phone, which is really not very effective and doesn't feel very engaging. And when you're really trying to go after these soft skills, these emotionally impactful, thoroughly ingrained topics, you really need more immersion, more engagement. Um, the, the participants need to feel like they've stepped out of their normal world. But if you go to the higher end, like the HTC Vive or the Index, they're just they're tethers and there's this massive computer and you really have to be a tech guru to figure out all the little things that might break. But uh, a good place in the middle is actually the Oculus Quest. And um, they have kind of cornered the market right now, but there are some other contenders coming along, which is great because they're pushing the technology further to accomplish more. But the Oculus Quest is what's called untethered. And so you don't have to have a computer. It's it's hooked to the Wi-Fi. You stick it on your head. Mm. But a cool piece with the Oculus Quest is you don't have to use controllers to interact. So for example, with our classroom scenarios, the teachers can write on the whiteboard. They can write a lesson or the name or whatever. And so instead of holding a controller in your hand and trying to pretend like you're holding a marker with the Oculus Quest, you really do just hold a visual representation of a marker. And the really amazing thing like that, as we expand our trainings and get even more um, realistic in them, 
you can track every finger movement and like uh, you can put your hands underwater and your brain truly believes at least for a split second that there's water about to be on your hand. And um, Stanford has some incredible research around, around the power of that. But the big hindrance around VR has always been, well, how do you get the hardware out? How do you scale it? And so um, luckily the hardware is catching up with the vision that we have. Is, what is it like to produce content for a, a device like the Oculus? Like, how do you even go about creating it? Is it existing video footage that you're you're creating into this their platform? Like, how does it even how does it even work? Well, it's actually really fun. So, part of what I have done in my past as a hobby is uh, directing and acting. And so, um, even though we do not use video. We don't use 360 video. We create all of our content through Unity. We use code. And the reason for that is mm. because we are very adamant that we not put anything in that's called what's called confirmation bias. So yeah. we need to control for that. And so if you capture a video of some students or some people in a corporate space, you're capturing their environment. But by using uh, our own assets that we build, we can make sure that every room is full of people that represent the true population of our country. But when you take the content of what we're trying to teach and the research behind it and the studies, and then you take that and you put it into an environment like this where um, it has to be engaging, then there's there's a story. There's a progression of the story that you have to do there. So it's like almost like writing a screenplay. And the, the reason for that and the reason I actually work with uh, game producers is because I know from a lifetime of teaching that everyone from the youngest to the oldest learn far better if it is a story and it feels enjoyable and it catches their attention and they will remember it. So we put in um, game elements, not gamification, but elements of our environment that um, make them really feel out of their element. They, they, people, when they take off the headset, they're like, oh, right, I'm in this room. So making it truly engaging because it cements the knowledge into them, even in a very short period of time in DR. Yeah, I do find that fascinating that you talk about like it's, the storyline makes the difference in whether or not the content sticks. Uh, I mean, I see this with my kids, right? Like they're they're going to school and and when they're solving math problems or doing reading and like the storylines of some of these these aspects is helping them remember the content. And I think that's what a lot of corporations get wrong about how how to train certain aspects. Uh, mm-hmm. So like you guys focus on bias. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen organizations just hire somebody to ber- for diversity and inclusion and bias, and they come and do lecture style. And is that really sticking? I mean, you tell me. <laughs> no, <laughs> not by itself. I mean, definitely. Start- <laughs> we, so we start with the story and we work through it that quite a bit before we even touch the technology. And then the technology is a way for people to really learn and grasp and practice the new skills that they've learned from us. Just hearing a lecture isn't enough. It's not a bad thing and it's a place to start, but if you do it once and call it good, then the impact will, if anything, be harmful because it's not enough. So it's it's worse to have an effort that you can't support long-term, we believe, than it is to really do nothing because it's it's just, it's almost damaging to say, hey, we're doing something and then it doesn't work and it's not enough. So you two have been operating together for I think you said a little over a year now, mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe a little bit longer. What what has the effectiveness of what you guys are doing? Like, 
have have employees or employers been saying like wow this is it's really changing the way we're we're thinking about uh, bias so we we have had a lot of great feedback around um, launching in the bias space but it's probably worth talking about what we're doing now because like the rest of the world yeah. we're experiencing what it's like to be in a pandemic <laughs> and so uh, the bias piece is very important for us to continue to weave into our work, but we've actually changed directions for the company to serve in the current crisis. When we saw it, you know, when we started getting orders about staying at home and, you know, school being canceled, it was like, okay, so people are probably going to be redirecting their budgets or their focus on what they need to you know, spend their money on at work. And so we thought, well, what do we need to do? And Wendy uh, came up with a pretty awesome revelation that we've managed to now implement. And so she, uh, Wendy, why don't, why don't you share how you came up with this idea? Yeah, please do. Yeah, so um, I actually had taken a brief vacation because I didn't know what the world was going to be like later. And uh, at, then I was like, how do we maintain the overarching mission of our company, which is always to help? We get up every day to improve someone's life. And right now, the improvement that is needed is very obvious. It's in your face. And so I came up with an idea that we could retool our technology to help frontline healthcare workers. So uh, this was a Friday afternoon idea. I ran it past some friends and colleagues who were in the healthcare space, and they were excited. And then we, Maggie and I got together and put an execution plan, applied for a grant, got the grant by Friday, and started development on Saturday, and we're going to start launching our first training sites um, this, this week. And so what this is, is this is a, uh, a training that is in virtual reality for healthcare workers who are being um, perhaps taken from one area of healthcare and put um, into the front lines triaging. So CNAs, uh, nursing assistants, medical assistants, those, those types of people, uh, perhaps they were in, they're in long-term care facilities and they go into virtual reality and they learn to choose, put on, and um, their per personal protective equipment, then they interact with patients and then they take off the equipment and sanitize. So there's hand sanitization, there's the mask, there's the goggles, the face shield, the gown, all of them, the gloves, all these things they put on in virtual reality with an instructor and videos, but they're actually doing it uh, in this. And then a really cool put piece we put in is that there's a, a menu item you can select when you're in the COVID ward uh, caring for patients, you can see where all the virus has spread within that environment. And then after you've interacted with the patient and done your, your job with them, you go back to take off your PPE and you can look at yourself and see where all the virus has gotten on you before you go through the steps of taking off the PPE. And so it's very it's a little scary, scary, but really important. <laughs> yeah, a little scary. Incredible. Yeah, I'm sure it's really scary, but that's the whole kind of the whole point, right? It it's is, just to say, right? Like, hey, there's a there's a gap in safety practices. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's shedding light on, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're trained incorrectly to to put on a mask a certain way or to interact well, with certain things. So this is is helping. Yeah. And so you know you you look at the articles that are coming out for these long term care facilities or nursing homes where a huge percentage of the residents and the um, people who work there, the staff are actually infected with it. And then you come to find out that they never got training even on proper hand and respiratory hygiene, let alone PPE selection and application. And, you know, you would assume that they were given this training, but we're finding out as we're digging into the healthcare space that this isn't standard. And even what it is, it's, it's outdated. So, you know, we've got some people volunteering coming out of retirement and it's been years since they've interacted with an infectious disease and they need a refresher. I mean, it's not like 
riding a bike. You don't just jump back in. And then this virus itself is very unique and it spreads in so many ways that are unexpected. And the numbers are staggering of the healthcare providers who are getting sick. And a good part of that is the, the materials aren't there, but that's where VR comes in again. We can do this in-depth training repeated over and over and over again without using up any of this equipment. So if I were to go, if I were a healthcare provider and were to say, hey, I need this training, there would need to be a healthcare professional in a space letting me use new PPE every time until I got it right. Well, we don't have that kind of supply of instructors nor um, resources to allow this kind of training. So we've done this. And so we got the first grant, which has gained incredible interest. And um, there's conversation even potentially that this training is going to get in front of the WHO this week because they want to be able to scale this and a 2D version into some of the third world countries for training their healthcare workers. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful situation right there because you're, you're totally right. Like a lack of trainers would be the issue in getting the standard safety practices across the world. And mm-hmm. if you can use a technology like this to, to teach people in third world countries, what better situation than, than that, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can translate it into other languages. We can yeah. uh, make sure that the hospitals or the facilities match the country that they're in, uh, at least general. And we've already built all of our uh, content uh, in coordination with the University of Portland School of Nursing to be CDC and WHO compliant with all of their latest standards for this kind of care and uh, equipment use. So I was, uh, one thing that's just running through my head is like, how do you pull this together so fast? I mean, I talked to you guys, I want to say like three or four weeks ago and you hadn't, this hadn't even come about and then you <laughs> flipped the switch and I, I'm like, how do you get the experts? Cause I imagine you guys aren't healthcare professionals. Right. <laughs> by trade. So I don't know how you would pull together this this content. You you obviously have the resources to to code this and to distribute this, but how do you get the expert trainers to participate? Yeah, I, I would credit it with, I mean, our our network of, you know, we've we've been doing business in Oregon and have built along both of us have built networks up over the years. And so when we say, okay, we have an idea, who do we need? We identify who we need to reach out to. And I, you know, they were just really, really excited. So we did manage to get a, a really, really um, effective and talented and unique set of medical advisors that cover us um, as far as, you know, training from a nurse's or doctor's perspective, um, as well as entrepreneurs in the medical space. So it's, it's the network. Um, the network of people have really helped us get this off the ground really, really fast. That and not sleeping, but we can do that later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would say a big piece of this, which is why we why we can get up. I think Maggie and I speak for both of us. We can get up at ridiculously early hours and keep going all day long because mm. uh, I want to speak to this strongly because you see in the news all the negative and all the bad and you know these people doing these wrong things. But when we decided that we were going to do this and we got buy-in that this was an effective way to do this. The good in human beings is so evident right now and people are dropping everything. 
we aren't take, making any profit off of this. We're making sure that we can offer it for free and just are meeting our expenses to do the work. Um, and, you know, we have huge consulting firms who are donating their time to help make sure that our um, mm-hmm. awareness campaigns are out there so people know that this exists. The University of Portland has donated their subject matter expert and their content. And, you know, our advisors are working long hours too because all of these people want to help and they want to make an impact and they want to save lives lives. And that is the good in humans that a crisis can bring out. Yeah, people really are putting their, yeah, the time, people are putting time, money, resources behind this to make it happen. So, you know, Point B is a consulting firm, for example, that they've, they've really stepped up to help us out in this. Um, there's just been so many people. Well, congratulations to both of you on this. I can't wait to see how it ends up and then also how your business might take a shift after this too. Like it could completely change uh, once you're done with this COVID stuff, or maybe you won't ever quite be done with training and nurses and, and things like that. Maybe, um, maybe you just found yourself a little niche. I think we did. Really because, yeah. I mean, unfortunately this crisis has also revealed some inherent weaknesses in our healthcare system. We don't rank very well among our, uh, other countries who are in our same level. And, um, you know, there is a huge lack of uh, faculty who can train nurses. And so the pipeline is, is slow and now they can't even get their clinical hours. So we have all these nurses waiting to graduate. And, um, and there are many other things, policies, ways of onboarding that are antiquated and don't apply, cannot be done in this time. And we're never going to look at the world the same again after this is over. And so we actually have found ourselves uh, pivoted into this space to serve here. But what's really wonderful is uh, healthcare also does have a problem with bias. And it is not an audience that's easy to get the attention of because they're kind of always uh, on fire, right? They're going after that thing that needs to be taken care of right now. And so we're able to bring in the diversity training into our like triage training and patient care training. And it is baked into that training because it's baked into the DNA of our company. It's who we are. And so we'll roll that in. Uh, you, you know, you have children, so it's kind of like hiding vegetables in the mac and cheese. We're going to make it a part <laughs> of what we Shh, have. Don't tell anybody else. <laughs> well, that's incredible work. I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of you two for doing this. Um, what else in parting uh, thoughts? Like, what do you want to tell people about what, what you guys are, what you're doing, where they can find more about what you're up to, how they can contribute in any way. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah. Well, you know, the more funding that we have, um, the more we're able to roll it out to other states, other countries for free. Because the goal is in this time when hospitals are lacking in resources and money, um, that and it's predicted to have a second wave in the fall, that we stay ahead of this and get this training out there. And so, you know, help, help around that would be, great. Uh, You know, we are trying to get some more news out about this so that other cities can realize we can set up a training site within a week in your city or your region. Uh, We're looking to set up a mobile training center for Eastern Oregon because it's so rural. Uh, So there are lots of ways that we can get this training to the people. And then as we roll out the 2D training, just an awareness of where people can find it and how they can can take the training is is really important. Wendy Morgan, Maggie Hubble, you guys are the co-founders of Shift bias. Thank you for coming on and spending time. I know you guys are really busy right now and I don't know how you're doing all this remotely, but thank you for spending time with me today. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Brandon.